Welcome to the A Fire Podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. The Truth versus Dishonesty, Part 2. This is the second part of a conversation I had with Michael Birkin. He is the former vice chair of Omnicom and former CEO of Omnicom Asia Pacific. He's currently the CEO and chairman of Q. During our conversation, we talked a lot about going back to the office. We talked a lot about fear and fear of change. And we talked about talent. I think as we've, got, as we've gone through uh, the, the stages of it, and as we still go through it, we're now very much in a phase at Q that we are, um, we don't want to encourage people to go back um, willy-nilly. We, we're, not, we're not basically saying everybody's got to go back, but we are very much of the view, particularly as a creative business, that convening physically creates a better service, creates better products. It makes us do our jobs better and is frankly more fun. Um, and so we're now going through a phase where we are experimenting with, through our different organizations on different ways to um, get back together. And I'm personally very much at the vanguard of, of that development. I believe in getting people back, um, not necessarily in the exact same way, um, but certainly in a very regular way, because I think um, no matter how the world may have changed, I don't think the fundamental creative process and the way that the mind works in the creative process has changed to the point that we can create as effectively and as brilliantly when we're all sitting uh, in isolation. Well, that's excellent news to anyone who has a portfolio of office buildings that have lots of uh, agencies uh, sitting inside them. Uh, that's that's fantastic news. It, that you know, it's something that keeps shifting. Uh, and it's, uh, there is very little data on it so far. So it's really just a question of where are people going to go? Well, I, I, think, I think one of the, um, there's a few things that occur to me on this topic. I mean, first of all, I've never liked in any context people saying the future is this. You know, this company has got this service and that is where the future is or this is the way that they operate that's the way that it's going to be or these these companies have merged to sort of create oh my goodness you know this is now going to dominate i i've always whether it's out of perversity or whether it's out of a little bit more sensible analysis always fought against that sort of activity because frankly every time anybody ever says that it's as likely to be the opposite, or certainly a big variation on that theme as it is to be the way that they say that it's going to be. So that's the first thing to say. So in the context of that, you know, some of the things that one's seen and read, like, well, the future now, you know, everybody's going to work from home, it's all going to be, you know, um, uh, you know, we're all going to be isolated, and that's the way that people want. First, is, is a very unintelligent statement. That doesn't mean that there aren't circumstances where people can do their job in, you know, working from home. Of course they can. 
there are jobs where they, they can and they will. There are many jobs that will disappear through AI over the years to come, but they will be replaced by variations of those jobs or different jobs. If, for example, Gunnar, you'd said to me, you know, in the year that I was born, 1958, if I was, you know, if I was already old enough to be able to listen at that point, this is how pervasive computerization is going to be in the next 60 years. I honestly would have believed that there would have not just been tens of millions, but hundreds of millions of people out of work. And whatever unemployment levels are around um, the world, that has not been what has caused that unemployment. It's essentially just shifted the way that we operate um, and the needs and wants that we have and has created a shift. Now, there have been winners and losers in that balance. I'm not suggesting that there hasn't, there's, that there will be millions of people who were doing a certain job that haven't been able to repurpose their lives and would have been unemployed. But, but essentially, this idea that computerization, or the word now is technology, is going to essentially change everything so that we are now all going to be able to work independently or we're going to become superseded is not the way that I see it at all. And so it's just when one looks at it on an individual by individual basis, it can be very, very tough. I mean, elections have been fought, won and lost on that very issue in the last 10 years. But if one looks at society and the global society, that it'll just be a repurposing. And that will also apply not just to the way that we work in isolation, but also the role of AI in all of that. And so um, uh, when one then takes that to the next phase, which is possibly something that is of great interest to your listeners, and real estate and the, the need for people to, to convene in office buildings, when one talks about flexible work, I don't take that to mean that that means that even if there is greater flexibility in the way that people's work practices will be, and I believe there will be, that isn't going to be that everybody's just going to work Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays in an office and not on a Monday and a Friday, because ultimately people will convene when the quality of what is produced improves by them convening. Certainly in our world, that's the case. So if you have a big client meeting coming up on a Thursday and you need to work flat out on the Tuesday and Wednesday, people will come into the office and do that job and be in the office for the meeting with the client on the Thursday. Um, but if on a Monday or a Wednesday or a Friday, whenever it is, you don't have any meetings, but you actually have research that you have to do or, or whatever, then can that be done independently or sorry, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an independent location? Yes, it can. And therefore, um, the, um, I think that when one talks about the flexibility in working, it's not just the flexibility for the individual. It's actually how can organizations use that flexibility for themselves to gain? And it's a two-way street. And so any comments that this is a way that it's going to be, I think is a two-dimensional way of thinking. I think we're going to be looking at flexibility for all parties. And within that flexibility is the need for convening and the need for people to populate spaces. Um, and 
Does that mean that occupancy in the short run will be the exact same? Probably not. I think it'll take time. But over time, just as in the same way that jobs have been redistributed over decades, real estate will find its own redistribution and requirements that will, I think, be very compelling for owners of commercial real estate. Therefore, the long term is a positive one. The short term will have winners and losers. But I think the long term trajectory will be, I think, back on track. Well put. Well put. It's it's hard not to believe that, that things are going in, in a good direction. There's so many signs, even if there is difficult near term. But I think one of the things that's fundamental to whether it's the political arguments that take place over jobs uh, or it's the you know the fear that AI is going to take over the world and or, or every, everything else that might be there is fear of one thing over and over again, fear of change. And organizations are just as frightened, or leaders of organizations are just as frightened of changing processes, changing the way that they're working, changing what the output is uh, as anyone else. I mean, witness all the different companies over the over the decades that have gone out of business because they just, for whatever reason, were frightened of making the change they knew they should make. So now we're in an environment where change is being called all of us are being called upon. It's not just a few workers that suddenly are having to re-educate. It's all of us that are having to re-educate. All of us that are having to accept something that fills us with anxiety and fear and makes us react in all sorts of different ways, in including denial, including, you know, everything's good, uh, everything's fine, or including, I don't know, running for the hills, uh, you know, <laughs> fight or flee. We, we tend to do all of the above. Um, that managing the change itself, understanding change and what it does to us, I personally think that's, that's probably, for me, the most important thing to understand. And, and I think for a lot of us to, to, to do that, to think that way. Um, when you're dealing with change, and you've dealt with change quite a bit uh, through you know, the, the, the various generations of the, the agencies that you've worked with and, and ownership, and you do a lot of you know, you're bringing people together in a consortium. A lot of that's change. So how do you how do you think about it? How do you help leaders within your organizations uh, work through it, understand it? The there's two there's two um, sort of tenets to the way I've always tried to manage. Um, I've been successful with with these some of the time and, and not on others. Um, the first is to um, try and create an environment where you're, as much as you can, being in control of events rather than letting events control you. Um, that's, of course, not, not possible in absolute terms. Um, but in relative terms... It's something that you can work on. Uh, the second is linked to that, because I think that if, if, if you actually try and look at how you make changes through the lens of other people who are being impacted by the change, then your chance of controlling events rather than letting events control you, your chances go up dramatically. I'm in the human resources business, if, I mean, or at least the talent business. I mean, we have two and a half thousand people in our organization um, and we earn fees because of their brilliance. 
So keeping that brilliance is very important. We don't like to lose anybody. Um, but, you know, inevitably one does. People um, find um, that they need to make changes and one understands that. Um, but in a world where change is inevitable um, and a good thing, one has to start in the way that you repurpose your own organisation by looking at it through the lens of the people that work there rather than what may be more comfortable, um, which is looking at it through your own lens, which, of course, you inevitably do. So I, I think that you start in dealing with that by saying, what is going to give us the best chance of actually changing the way that we think the way that we act, the way that we model our business in a way that's going to keep the people that we need to keep. Um, and if we keep the people we need to keep, then that's one big facet of controlling events rather than letting events control you. Because if you don't do that, then you're on the back foot. And you're having to make changes that are being forced upon you more than you want. Um, so I think that... Um, that's one thing. I think another point is that, um, again, one of the things we're finding at this stage of the pandemic is that there's a pent-up, just as there's a pent-up um, demand for goods and services, um, which is now outstripping supply, which is causing short-term inflation in the market, the same thing's happening to the talent pool and individuals are changing jobs again, having not changed jobs for the first year since lockdown started. And that's causing disruption. And it's causing inflation in, in rates of pay. And that's painful for our organisation. We're having to cope with that. And that means we have to start looking at everything that we do, if we're going to maintain our, our profitability that we need to do to be able to invest in the things that we have to invest in and to be able to pay the incentives that we need to pay and recruit the people we need to recruit. So we have to look at the way in which we do things and question whether it's the most effective, the most resilient way of operating going forward. And I think that therefore, again, if we look at, if we take the view that we're, we are being disrupted um, rather than we are the disruptor, then we're going to be in trouble because all we're going to be facing is salary inflation it's going to be hard to get increased fees out of clients. Um, our profitability is going to go down and our flexibility to operate is going to go down because of it. If we, on the other hand, say, well, this is a dynamic that we have to manage. So let's look at everything that we do, the way that we go to market, the way that we actually manage our, our assignments, the way that we spend other overheads. And we look at what is the most effective way of managing in those contexts, in that context. Then we move from being the disrupted to being the disruptor, and we find ways in which we can afford the talent that we need to afford. And so I think that change is something that you have to get ahead of through this sort of mantra of, of you know, controlling events rather than letting them control you. But it does start, as I mentioned, with this idea of looking at the organisation through the lens of the people that matter in the organisation. That means the people that you employ and other stakeholders. That's a 
great way of thinking about it in terms of being the disruptor. I think to a certain extent, um, what it suggests to me as well is that when you look at your company through the lens of, of the different constituents, that you realize that, of course, nothing in that company is permanent, that the, the, the processes that you do, the, the way you manage things, that was not something written in stone, tablets, and brought down from a mountain, that all of those things can change. And yet, in our minds, and our hearts, we have a tendency to resist changing that perhaps more than anything, um, because somehow that's how we have defined or identified ourselves, our company culture. Um, that the way, you know, gee, we, we, we do nothing but make uh, physical film uh, versus digital film. Those are two entirely different processes, entirely different ways of thinking about yourself. But the chance was there, um, and someone didn't take it. And it seems to me that whether you're an advertising agency, you're an investment manager, you're a, uh, you're a brokerage, whatever it is, that there's probably a way you can look at how you're doing things and realize that that stuff probably doesn't need to or shouldn't be the way that it has been. Well, I think I'm not an expert in, in real estate um, at all. Um, I, I'm a I'm a um, a user. That's why I don't like the word user. But I, I occupy <laughs> real estate both privately and corporately, and um, and a lot of it over the years. Um, but I think that one of the things I've observed, I've, I have observed generally, and I'll come back to real estate in a second is that when there's a lot of change going on, it's remarkable how people don't actually understand the basic business that they're in. Um, we've touched upon media a little bit in this conversation, Gunnar, and, and just coming back to that for a second, when digitalization hit, um, I believe that the, the newspaper industry in the United States um, fundamentally misunderstood the business that it was in. If one looks um, at, at it, there's probably only three or four titles in the US that are national. I mean, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, USA Today. Beyond that, not much. Every other newspaper was fundamentally a regional title, um, albeit it might have a, have a slightly wider franchise. And regional newspapers were driven by listings, by having real estate listings, by having you know, what, what was called classified advertising, job listings, real estate listings, business listings, cinema listings. Um, and then when digitalization arrived, all of a sudden, the whole focus seemed to go on how we're going to get our content, i.e. our news, paid for. And... Um, but failing to understand that the, the, the economics of getting that done were almost impossible. But the solution could easily have been, well, hang on a minute, why don't we allow everybody on our website um, for nothing? Why don't we put all those same listings on the website of the Boston Globe or the Miami Herald or whoever for nothing? And then over time, we will, you can pay for prioritization or we can help you in the way that you present yourself. And all of a sudden, you are in the digital world, the exact same organ as you were in the analog world, because people have to go to your website if they want to know what the local listings are. 
But over time, real estate was lost to the Century 21s and, and the plethora of car online services um, and, the, and the job listings to the monster.coms and so on and so forth. And by the time they woke up to that, it had all gone away. And it came, I think, from a fundamental misunderstanding of the business they were in. They thought they were in the news business because they were called a newspaper. But what was really paying the bills were the listings. And they just didn't want to believe that that's where they were. So that, what is the future of the real estate business in the context of, of that sort of um, experience? Because, and I don't know the answer, by the way, but... It, but what commercial real estate is going to mean going forward, of course, is going to be somewhat the same as what it's been in the past. But it doesn't necessarily have to be so. I think one has to look beyond the fact that we are providing space for people to have offices. It's something beyond that, because it has to fit in with the context of why real estate is important to people. That was always a given in the pre-COVID world to some degree, but almost has to re has to re-sell um, itself in the context of some of the either informed or uninformed points of view. And I think that that's going to be a very important thing for um, many of your stakeholders to understand. But it's an opportunity. It's, I think it'll, it'll create new reasons why commercial real estate, real estate becomes important. But it might need to be a bit of a, a reality check or the grabbing of an opportunity to actually win those arguments. And that, to me, would be the learning that I've actually seen in the past and comes down to the fundamental of what business are we really in and why is it going to be compelling going forward in, in somewhat different circumstances. A very succinct truth. This is hard. Uh, you're going to have to try something different you're going to have to look at it, but there is an amazing opportunity uh, to become the disruptor. I, I think, you know, certainly the real estate industry, certainly your industry um, need to pay attention to that. It would be hard to find an industry that does not have to look at that. Um, and we just have these periods of several decades where we don't have to think about it, you know, where, where things, we get lulled into a false sense that everything's going to be the same forever, but then it isn't. Um, as we go forward. So uh, keeping you on the positive here a little bit, uh, what are you excited about happening uh, over the next run, the, the next five to 10 years? And what are you worried about? Well, my, my, my chief, we'll start with the worry. My chief worry is, it goes back to the conversation we were having uh, some while back. Um, and this, the, the, the war between truth and dishonesty um I, I i i i'm an optimist um but i do think it's going to be a long road to reinsert truth in storytelling i i, I we we're doing our bit but um you know having been one of the baby boomer generation um and having seen the Second World War, or read about the Second World War, and heard about the Second World War from my parents, basically being the fight against totalitarianism and propaganda, um, I took it for granted in the first sort of 30, 40 years of my life, and having been brought up with the BBC, which was government 
you know, a balanced government control with set amounts of time to be able to, you know, that you would allocate to various political parties and so on and so forth. I took it um, for granted that we were in a world where there would be balance in communication, um, not just between the number of right-wing and left-wing um, media, but even within the context of one channel. But now, you know, we have channels that are self-evidently uh, peddling propaganda and they're growing. And that dynamic doesn't seem to be slowing down. And that is a, a major, major concern um, that requires us all to get on a war footing to make sure that we get truth into storytelling. And even though in the long, long run, I'm optimistic, I think it's going to be a hellish battle for some time. But one that we have to fight, there's nothing more important. So I'm afraid I'm not so, I'm a little concerned about that one. Uh, one we just have to you know, energize ourselves for that particular battle. It's very important. On the more optimistic front, I do see um, uh, immense opportunity in, in um, commerce. And I do believe that there is more social responsibility in commerce now than there's ever been. Um, I think people are being held to task rightly. And I think that even though not enough is being done um, in, in a humanitarian way on a lot of issues, a ton more is being done. And massive issues such as the environment are finally being taken very, very seriously. And I do believe the generations coming through are forcing these conversations to be taken much, much more seriously. And, and I think that that provides a lot of great business opportunities um, for existing organizations and new organizations. And so I think it's, an, it's going to be a very exciting time for commerce. I think that um, if we are inventive about um, the marketing of space, if you like, the, the marketing of real estate, I think for your stakeholders, I think it could be a very, very exciting time, not necessarily a glut of demand immediately, but I think it's going to come back quicker than people think. And I think that's just, I think that that proximity and that convening is going to create an energy that, because it's directed in meaningful and important ways, is going to create um, a better society. So as long as we can win our battle by battle in the truth versus dishonesty war, um, I think that we have a, an optimistic outlook. Well, count me in. I, I, I'm ready to enlist in the truth um, versus dishonesty war. Um, I think that's uh, really well put. Um, we, have, we have run out of time and uh, we're going to have to sign out. But uh, before we do that, I want to make sure that everyone who wants to hear uh, voices like Michael's uh, help see things in a different way, make sure you subscribe. We're on a bunch of different services, including Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, Podchaser, and Pandora. And I'm sure we've added a few more since. Uh, so please make sure that you do uh, sign up uh, to, to get these to your phone on a regular basis. Uh, now that I've finished my advertising, I want to profusely thank 
Michael Birkin for spending time with us on the AFIRE podcast. Thank you, Gunnar. I've enjoyed it very much. You've been very uh, um, patient with me and um, I, uh, um, I look forward to um, listening to more AFIRE podcasts myself. It's been an eye-opener and I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And I, I look forward to seeing you in person the next time I'm in New York. <laughs> Indeed. You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the AFIRE podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the AFIRE podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. To learn more about the AFIRE podcast, including underwriting guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.